Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Tiffany Smith and her sister, Crystal. Tiffany will be sharing her birth story and reflecting on her journey through a rough pregnancy, being sent home from the hospital, resulting in an unassisted home birth, and how her healing from it all continues 11 years later. We are honored to hear her truth today. Hello, Tiffany. Hello, Crystal. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you Hello. so much for having us. Yes. <laughs> so glad to be here today. <laughs> we are so, so happy to have you both. Absolutely. Thank you. Can you start by telling a little bit about yourself and your family? Absolutely. So um, my immediate family that lives in my household, it consists of me and my sister. And then I, I have an 11-year-old son, and then she has a almost 12-year-old and 13-year-old. So we just have just created a unique space for ourselves. And we've just lived together. We're sadly going to be separating next month. But I mean, we're 36, so it's time. <laughs> But and we're not moving Unit. far, but um, yeah. but yeah, we have just been best friends since you know birth. We we're twins, and um, so yeah, that's that's our family. And for me, we're we're actually from Oakland, California, born and raised, and then we moved out here to Phoenix about seven about seven six years, years ago. So six. Six years. Okay. Six or, yeah, yeah, six or seven years ago. Um, and then my my brother and his wife, and then my mom also lives out here too. Got anything to add about yourself, Crystal? Uh, not not much. I think Tiffany <laughs> sums it up. I think uh, being born and raised in the Bay Area um, was uh, very. It shaped a lot of who we are. So I think that's really important um, as far as. Uh, kind of our what where we come from and uh parts of our personality are very much um ingrained in the bay <laughs> and uh so I think that is is important to her story as well you know yeah. um because this is a place that we um were born and raised we were very comfortable in the bay area so I think as far as her pregnancy, as far as her uh, birth story, I, I think there's some significance to the fact that this was our, our home, the place where we felt most comfortable. Yeah. Understood. Um, the part I do love is that you all have the, what you've, what the family space that you've created. Um, mm -hmm. I love that for us who have you know, beautiful and good relationships with our siblings, being yes. able to like have that and be around and have that like cousin connection and yes. all of that. I just, I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. We have a very close knit family yeah. and it's really nice to co-parent with my twin. Yeah. Um, I think that's been a lot of fun over the past 11, 12 years that we've lived yeah. um, and, and kind of like uh, co co mothered together with the kids. Yeah, <laughs> it's been really fun. But we are, you know, it is, uh, and it's weird to move away from each other. But um, I think it, it's going to be fun for us as well. Yeah. All right. Well, Tiffany, tell us a little bit about your pregnancy. Ooh. So my pregnancy. <laughs> um, so. My pregnancy was a little bit stressful um, just because the father of my son, it was a lot of drama surrounding 
our relationship. And so pretty early on, I just kind of cut him out of the, I cut him out of basically my whole entire life. Um, so I went it alone. Thank goodness I had my sister. My sister was the only person who knew I was even pregnant for, I want to say like the first four or five months that I was carrying. Um, and then I, I finally uh, told the rest of my family. And then by the time he was born, they all, of course, knew. Um, but it was rough because, I mean, I was 24 while I was pregnant. I was also pretty broke at that time. I didn't have insurance, which was, you know, a whole nother issue and a whole nother story. And on top of that, I didn't start getting prenatal care until I was about, I want to say, five to six months. And I was really consistent with it once I did start getting that prenatal care, but I didn't have a car at the time. So I was having to ride the bus everywhere. I was having to, you know, take BART everywhere and I was walking everywhere. So just getting around on my own was pretty difficult. Um, but I did it and I did it all the way up until I was nine months. And uh, so that was really my pregnancy experience. You know, I think about all these campaigns and I guess campaigns is the main thing about, you know, get early prenatal care. Mm -hmm. um, you need to have prenatal care. You need to do this. And this, you know, comes up a lot. But is it accessible? No. Can I get it? Right. Are y'all coming to help me get right. to these appointments? Right, right. If I don't have insurance, are you guiding me on where I can go so I'm making sure that I'm getting the prenatal care? Right. None. The theme of the world is accessibility. Like, can you right. <laughs> make it so people are able to 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 have access and and get the support that they need? Yeah. And accessibility um, is a huge part of my birth story because the hospital that I had to go to was so far away from my house. So, and there mm -hmm. were hospitals a lot closer, um, but the one that I had to go to was so far away, and that was a huge part of, you know, the way I gave birth, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to note that she was full, a full-time employee at this time. She had a full-time job <laughs> um, that she had had um, for quite some time. But at that time, uh, companies were not, um, they weren't uh, required to offer insurance, health insurance. This was pre-Obamacare. Uh, <laughs> and so it was prior to companies having to require, you know, companies required to do it. So she should have had access, but still didn't. Yeah. How did you actually prepare for birth? And was this something that you were thinking about throughout the pregnancy? Well, I mean, the only preparation I did was just the knowledge that I had from my sister's birth, <laughs> uh, from her two uh, births, because she actually gave birth six months prior to when I did. So I was pretty familiar with the process. And so I, I wasn't nervous at all. I was just like, okay, I can do this. Like, I've always wanted kids. So it wasn't something that I was like, oh, I'm so afraid of the pain or anything like that. So I didn't have to really mentally prepare myself for it. I was just kind of just ready to see my baby. I was excited to, cause I was like one of the only cousins that hadn't had a child. <laughs> so I was excited <laughs> to kind of join the ranks with my cousins um, and be a part of that. And we had had mm -hmm. so many boys and so many babies within that kind of a, within like a, a nine year time 
like time frame, I was so happy that, that my child was being born at that time because he had so many cousins that he would be able to play with and so many cousins that were at his daycare. It's like, how often does that happen? So I was just really excited um, for the birth. Um, so I wasn't nervous at all. Um, but that was really the only thing that I did to prepare is just like, look at my sister's pregnancy <laughs> and, and her births. And they were a little traumatic too. Hers were kind of traumatic. And my sister's last one was kind of traumatic um, because she ended up going into, uh, she ended up having an emergency C-section. So I was worried about something like that. Um, but her first um, son, her pregnancy went super fast. And then the second one, my nephew turned out fine. So I, I didn't really do anything else to prepare for it. Got it. And, you know, having that close relationship, were there things beyond her just like being in that space with you, Crystal, were there other things that you were offering um, as preparation support? Um, at the time, I had two toddlers. <laughs> so I feel like <laughs> she was more of a support for me <laughs> than I was for her. Um, at that time, I was living on my own. Um, and so she would come and hang out with me on the weekends when she didn't have to work. And she'd help me with the boys. So I think it was um, a lot of time that we got to spend together and, you know, spending time with the kids together, I think was just, you know, we bonded a lot. Um, but surprisingly, I think because we had our hands full with two children at the time, um, anytime, any quality time we did spend was primarily just us bonding with, with the boys and yeah. talking about the future, I think, uh, you know, yeah. talking about what he turned out to be like and um, things like that. But I think she, I felt because we had so many babies in our family and because uh, we had my two uh, babies at the time. I felt like she, like, I'm like, if you have any questions, like you could ask me, but I think you, <laughs> you've seen it firsthand um, twice in a very short period of time um, because my kids are only 19 months apart. So I think uh, I, like she knew the door was open and uh, we'd have open conversations about babies and stuff like that. But I was like, Oh, like, you know, like you're getting plenty, plenty of practice here. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. You're, you're like, this is my gift to you. Yes. <laughs> Preparation. <laughs> Letting you know what you like. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But she was much more of a support for me at that time. I think. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And Tiffany, I know you worked hard to get to all those prenatal appointments. How yeah. did you feel like you, um, were prepared when you went there? Like, were they able to answer your questions? Did you feel like you had enough time? So I had to go to a county facility to get all of my health care. And it, so it was really hectic. Um, but the doctor that I had throughout that time was amazing. She was really great. I liked her a lot. Um, she always was able to answer my concerns. Um, she would refer me to places if I was like nervous about anything. So the, the care that I got at the facility was great, um, but it was just like really long wait times and it was a lot of people there and I was there with the unwashed masses. So it was, I saw a lot while I was there. So I felt like Richard Simmons, have you guys ever seen that meme where he's like, walking <laughs> like that's how I felt, but <laughs> I was like 
how far the mighty have fallen. Like I could um <laughs> <laughs> because it's a humbling experience, yes. <laughs> our family, like my dad was a garbage man, so he had great insurance. Like it was like they rolled out the red carpet for us as a child. And so as an adult, I'm like, how am I supposed to do all this by myself? Like <laughs> Navigating all that was um, was a, such an interesting experience, but the care that I received there um, was amazing. My doctor was incredible. Cracking up over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, just tell us about your birth. Okay, so I was actually babysitting my nephews when I went into labor. Um, the, I didn't think that that was going to be the day that I was going into labor because I was already two days overdue, but I felt better than I had in like months. I was like, I remember talking to somebody that morning and I was like, I can literally do backflips right now. I was like, (laughs) I was so energetic and I was like, this is definitely not going to be the day. So I was watching my nephews and we were like eating oranges and stuff. And then I started to feel contractions um, probably around like, I want to say like around 12 or 1, p- 1 p.m. And and so I didn't panic or anything. I, I was just like, oh, okay, like it's not so bad. So I just waited a, a little bit, maybe an hour or so because my mom wasn't home. My sister was at work. And so finally when my mom got home, I was just like, okay, can you take the boys? I'm going to call Crystal. Just let her know that I think I'm going into labor and then we'll see what happens then. So I called Crystal, my sister, and let her know. I was like, okay, if you can get off early, that would be great. But I don't think we're going to see any action for a little while. So I think she got off a little bit early, but I don't think she, I don't think she got home for a couple of hours though. And so I called the um, I called the hospital that we were supposed to go to and let them know like what my contractions were. They were about five, five, 10 minutes apart. And they were like, okay, come, come on in. And so, um, I took a shower and then I was like, okay, I, I packed a bag and then my sister got home and then we just left to go to, um, what is, the place where I consider to be hell, which is Contra Costa uh, Regional Medical Center. Um, So we get there, everything's fine. They check me and they're like, okay, you're not dilated. So you can go ahead and like walk around. And so me and my sister were like walking around the hospital. We were just kind of doing our thing and the contractions were getting more intense. And about, I would say maybe about like two hours in because we arrived at the hospital around 9 p.m. And around two hours in, it got to the point where I couldn't really walk around anymore. And I was like, okay, like these are getting intense. I wasn't smiling or laughing anymore. I was like, this is just getting too much. And I'm actually going to refer to my little paper here because I actually sent this over after, um, after my birth because I wanted to file a complaint about my experience there. So I'm going to see if I can pull from this a little bit. So 
So my contractions and baby movements were monitored. I was checked to see if I was dilated. Um, since I was only two centimeters, I was asked to walk around. I walked until the contractions became too strong. And at approximately 12 a.m., the doctor on duty and the nurse checked my conditions. Uh, the doctor told me I was still about two centimeters and 50% effaced. And they asked me if I wanted to stay or if I wanted to go labor at home. And then I told them that I wanted to stay because I was like, I don't feel comfortable going home with my contractions being this strong because they were really intense. Um, So I, and I also did not live close to the hospital. So the hospital was about a 30 minute drive from my house. So a round trip would have taken us an hour. So if I got home and then was like, oh, my water broke, then I would have to go back. And I didn't want to give birth in the car. So I was like, I don't live locally, so I don't want to go home. However, they were, they were just so dismissive of everything that I was saying. And my doctor had prepared me on what to tell them. And, and so I was telling them everything that the doctor was saying, because I also needed a, um, what is it called? I needed a shot for, let me see if I can find it here or for strep V. So I had a strep B virus and I needed a shot for that just to make sure that the baby was going to be okay. So they were so dismissive, the doctor included, and surprisingly the doctor was pregnant too. And she was just like, you're not going to give birth tonight. You probably won't. You're probably going to be pregnant for another two or three days. They were like, you should probably just go home. And it made me feel really uncomfortable. It made me feel as if I was in the way. And And nobody wants to feel that way. I'm like, am I? So it made me doubt myself. And it made me doubt like how strong the contractions were. It made me doubt just everything that I felt and believed. And so eventually, moving past that, so eventually they send me home and I'm in the car, like in pain and, and we're like considering like, should we go back? What should we do? But we just drive home and my sister didn't live with us at the time. I lived with my mom And so she dropped me off. I went upstairs to my room and just tried to like relax. I got in the tub because I was like, they were like, oh, you're probably dehydrated. And I was like, I know I'm not dehydrated because I ate a whole bag of oranges. And so, and they were like, you're probably tired or hungry. Those are the things that they put in my head. And um, so I went home, I got in the bathtub, nothing was working. So I got out of the bathtub and I was just laboring on my bed in my room. And as I was laboring, like the intensity of the contractions was so bad that it felt like I was getting a full blown Charlie horse up like throughout my whole body. And I was like, I can't even move. Like it feels like an electrical shock. And so I, at one point I was like, I have to get up. Like laying down was not helping me. So I got up and I walked into um, kind of into my hallway and then into the bathroom. And literally, as soon as I got into the bathroom, I felt like the need to push. I wasn't even I was just walking in and it was just like, I'm going to push here. So I was like, 
So I just, I actually like put myself, like I squatted over my toilet to make sure that my son didn't just fall out flat on the floor. And so finally, like I pushed and it took two pushes and he was out. And so I like grabbed him from our toilet and I like ran out to go call my mom. And this was at, so we got home. So just a timeline of this, cause I know I'm all over the place. So we got to the, we got to the hospital around nine, nine 30. They sent me home around 1130 and I got um, to my house around 12. And then I had my son, I think the 911 call that me and my mom made was around 345. So it was like three hours from when I left the hospital. So um, so I pick my baby up and I go into the hallway to like get my mom's attention because she was on, I was on the second floor and she was on the first floor. So I'm like yelling at my mom, trying to like wake her up. And like, she's coming up the stairs and she wears glasses. She was like, she was like, what are you holding? She's like, what are you holding? And I was like, it's the baby. And then she was like, why is he gray? And I was like, please just get the phone. I was like, and call 911. And so like, mind you, all this time, like I am seeing like, I there were spurts of blood going all over the place. I didn't know where it was coming from. I didn't know like what to do. All I knew was just to call 911 and to see what they can do. So we finally, my mom gets um, the phone and then she actually makes me do the call. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I was like, I don't know if I have the mental capacity to make this call, but I did it. Um, and so finally they just gave us instructions on how to, um, how to clear his airway how to tie off the umbilical cord in somewhere. And I, I think that's where kind of the spurts of blood were coming from is that um, his umbilical cord broke at some point. So, um, so with his umbilical cord breaking, we just were able to tie it off. Um, and then they sent the ambulance and they sent the um, fire department, picked us up. And they took us to the local emergency room. And that was only about, you know, two, three minutes from our house. Um, so they took us to the emergency room and we were able to get the care that we needed there. And then from there, um, they needed to send us to an actual hospital because they were just an emergency room. They did not handle prenatal. So they called the hospital that sent me home. When they called the hospital told them that they were full and that they did not have beds to have me come back. So I'm thinking that's why they tried to convince me to go home in the first place is because they did not have room for me. So I ended up going to the hospital that I initially wanted to go to, which was probably better for me. But I mean, I just wish they had told me that they just been honest, just say you don't have hospitals, check with another hospital and have me go there as opposed to sending me home and putting my life and my son's life in danger. Mm-hmm. So that was my birth story. <laughs> and my sister was there for the whole thing, except, well, except for the, the birthing. The birth. <laughs> um, but she was there. So she might be able to give kind of a secondhand 
um, account into how the doctors and nurses were treating me at that point as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the thing that makes me so angry even to this day is how much you pleaded with them to stay um, and how dismissive they were. It was really frustrating. And we uh, in our family have a history of very fast births. Both of my children, I barely made it to the hospital with my first son and um didn't in our we don't have like the traditional signs like my water didn't break at home they had to break my water right before I was pushing um because it's just we just have a history of fast fast births in our family it doesn't take very long um and we we told the the staff there that context we let them know that you know just six months earlier you know I also had a very fast birth and barely made it to the hospital. So, um, and we don't have those, those signs, like the contractions we typically have wait in, until it gets unbearable to go to the hospital to begin with. And that's yeah. where she was at the, you know, like she's not going to go to the hospital. Um, uh, and, it, and, it, and it, you know what? It doesn't even matter if, <laughs> If she was in unbearable pain, like that shouldn't matter to begin with. But um, just the way that we have conditioned ourselves not to go to the hospital unless it's truly an emergency. So like it, it was the last resort when she got to the hospital. That's she's like, it's unbearable now. I think I will be taken seriously. And that's just how we've treated medical care to begin with. We only go when we really feel like it will take a medical professional to get us well. <laughs> and so I think um, just that context to me, we don't, we don't lean on medical care unnecessarily um, because that's just how we were raised. Even though we had access to medical care growing up, we weren't taught to, to use it unless it, we truly um, needed yeah. it. So her getting there and them not taking her seriously was really frustrating. And she pleaded and I backed her up on it. Um, and we tried to give them as much context and to still be dismissed in that same way. And for them to um, continue to push back and challenge her on where she was, it was disheartening. And I think we both were came away from that really frustrated. Um and I just, it, it's so difficult to listen to the story. I'm very, very happy that she survived this. Um, and I think what makes me so angry is that there are so many uh, women out there that haven't survived. So I have been like telling Tiffany, like she's the voice for the, un, like the people who can't speak right now because there there are mothers who have not survived these types of ordeals. I think another thing that you didn't mention, Tiffany, was that when you were finally at that emergency room, you still um, had to deal with very low blood pressure. And I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I was shaking uncontrollably and they, they had to stitch me up. So I was... Um, so I was under like pain medic, like it was local pain medication. So I knew what was happening and everything, but I was, I had really low blood pressure. I was shaking and I kept asking the 
people around me. I was like, I was like, I can't stop shaking. I was like, am I dying? Cause I literally thought I was dying. Um, because I had never experienced anything like that. Um, so the, just the entire thing was just really traumatic. Just thinking like you have this baby and potentially this baby is not going to know his mother because I, you know, so it was, it was really tough and it was really hard. Um, and the thing is with the, the doctors and nurse, the doctor and nurse at the original facility, they told me not to come back. They were like, don't come back unless you, unless your contractions get too strong. Um, they said, don't come back unless your water breaks and don't, or don't come back unless you have like bloody show. And I was like, none of those things happened. Like I, like the contractions were just as intense as they were when I was at the hospital. Mm-hmm. I never, my water, I don't know when it broke. I don't know where it broke, but I did not see it happen. And so none, nothing that they said went the way that it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. So it was apparently, according to them, mine was the most unique birth that could have ever happened. You know what I mean? It's like everybody's birth is unique. You don't know what's going to happen with everybody. Mm-hmm. So how dare you guys tell me how I'm how I'm supposed to feel or how things are supposed to happen? It does not. It happens differently with everybody. Mm-hmm everybody between me and all of my girl cousins, all of our experiences are completely different. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to tell me what's supposed to happen and not to come back until those things happen? Mm-hmm. It's, it, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me and it gets me emotional. It gets me fired up because you can't do that to people and you cannot, if you're going to go into if you're going to go into something as sensitive as medicine, as a nurse or as a doctor, you need to be aware of the things that you are telling people. You need to be aware of how everyone is unique. You need to be sensitive to everyone. I wasn't asking anything of these people. Like I wasn't even bothering them. (laughs) You know what I mean? I wasn't like, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? I was literally just answering questions that they had. I was like sitting in a chair outside of the room so they can do whatever Mm -hmm. they wanted. I wasn't demanding anything from them. I don't Mm -hmm. even think they knew or like even remember my name. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't asking them to do anything, but their job, just like my job was to give birth, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it gets me upset. And the fact that somebody would have to go through any of those things and have to come out on the other side, or if you don't come out on the other side, or if your child doesn't come out on the other side, I can't even imagine having to go through what I went through and then the outcome be negative. Mm -hmm. It just, it breaks my heart. So I really just want to do something and I want people to really understand if you take nothing away from the story, just take away that you have to advocate for yourself Doctors and nurses are not going to do it for you. They will not. They're not going to do it for you. The only people that they will advocate for is themselves and their loved ones. They're not there for you. They're, you have to be there for you. So 
I mean, those are the biggest takeaways that I have from this birth. And I, from this point, like I will never, ever let anybody in any capacity put me in a situation like that ever again. Mm-hmm. First, I want to say thank you. Thank um, you for letting me <laughs> Honored. It is an honor to hear each and every person's story. Um mm-hmm. Because, you know, wherever you are on your journey of it, um, it's a lot to ask, right, for you to reshare and retell and relive that. Mm -hmm. So we are always grateful. Two, birth is not, doesn't work in a box. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Nope. Or in a textbook. Nope. Or in the five births maybe that you saw during residency. I don't know how long someone's residency (laughs) is, but... Right. And even like as birth workers, like, yeah, I have like in my mind what birth can look like. Mm -hmm. But I know that every time I enter that space, this is a brand new birth. Yes. So I'm kind of like, let's just throw it out the window and start (laughs) over. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) But that's what it is. So if someone is, you know, I think, you know, there's this idea that we get so wrapped up around, okay, how dilated is someone like, and yes, all of that information is important. Like mm-hmm. it adds to the whole yes. story, yep. but we have to look at the whole story. Mm-hmm. So if someone is showing me physically some pretty mm-hmm. late um, physical reactions to their c- contractions, right. I got some questions. Right. I'm do some more. <laughs> I want to hold you a little bit. Right. <laughs> There's, there is certainly a learning curve to putting together parts of, you know, progress and say dilation, effacement, station, Mm -hmm. and what it actually physically and emotionally looks Mm -hmm. like for someone. And then the other part that may not match any of that is whatever someone comes in with their previous trauma Mm and their life experiences. None of that may match. Yep. If she said it hurts and it's the most extenuating thing she's ever had, then that's where we're at. Right. Yep. On a scale of one to ten, we're on a right. ten. Right. <laughs> like, yep. so exactly. Exactly. That's that's what what it is. And you have to honor people in that space. And I don't okay. care, like, figure it out. Hospitals right. have all this money, like, right. okay, you don't want to admit her. We've got a staging area, okay, right. or something. <laughs> this is for people who aren't quite ready to go to a room, but we right. kind of want to keep an eye on them a little longer. Mm-hmm. But we yep. also can't keep them in triage too long, right? Right. Like, there right. has to be some, like, it's 2021. People have been giving birth since the beginning of time. Hello. Right. Like, why is there no, like, actual change in thing? Like, yeah, like, right. <laughs> send you home it makes no sense but I don't want to go home it was the sheer like the length between my house and the the facility I'm like in that alone it just didn't nothing it didn't nothing felt right about anything that happened that night right Tiffany tell us about um you said your son's umbilical cord tore at some point and you're not really sure when it happened how um what was the outcome for him, like, in terms of what did they say? Was it like he was gray because he didn't have enough blood and iron and all that? Is that kind of... I think it was the oxygen. Um, 
I mean, there, there, there was a lot of blood. There could have been some blood loss there. I think his blood pressure was a little low as well. Um, he was gray, I think, just due to the, the lack of oxygen. It took us a while to get him to breathe. Um, and that was a whole ordeal in itself because, like, I mean, I was in a panic. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Um, so just clearing his airway, like patting his back and getting him to breathe. Once we did that, then he started to have, you know, some life come back into him. But I mean, throughout the whole ordeal, he was like very like, um, like he was limp and I was really afraid that he was not going to make it. And I was like, if he doesn't make it, it's my fault, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's that included. So and I, and honestly, I don't know, like all I know about umbilical cords is that they they provide a child with food. So I didn't know that it was filled with blood. I knew nothing of those things. So I was like, I, I didn't even understand. And it was just, I mean, it was, just, <laughs> it was blood everywhere. Like It was just it everywhere. Was. Right. Um, it was. It looked like a crime scene. So I, I'm, I'm assuming he probably did lose some blood through that umbilical cord. Um, and that probably contributed to it. Um, but I, he built it back up, thank goodness. But he did have low blood pressure as well. Okay. I think yeah. it's important to note um, for the listeners, and our listeners are, you know, medical professionals. They are nurses, midwives, doctors, mm-hmm. people who are planning to give birth, people who have gave birth, people who just love birth, right? Um, and love women and birthing people. Yes. So, yeah. um, and just love Blackness. So yes. <laughs> here we are. Um, but you need to know that Black babies don't always turn blue, mm. right? Um, and that's what people look for when there's a lack of oxygen. Like mm-hmm. if you have melanin in your skin, you'll mm-hmm. look more gray, and mm-hmm. that is important to note because yeah. you won't always see that in a textbook. Yeah. Yep. So true. And he was great for a very, I mean, it, it, to me, it, I mean, it was probably like five to 10 minutes, but it, it was a long time. It was enough to scare me um, into thinking like, oh my goodness, like I've killed my baby. You know what I mean? Like by giving birth at home, um, you know, people, myself together you don't have to take your time no one no one should have to ever feel that way I was at when I I got pregnant when I was 24 I was 25 when I had my son it's not I know it's not a teenager but I'm also I didn't feel grown up at the time either and to have some a young person you know, thinking that, like, feeling responsible for something that I didn't do. Feeling like, like, already feeling like the second that my child is born that I'm a bad mother. Because he's not going to survive because of something that I did. Because I didn't go back. Because I didn't know when to go back. Or... I didn't know like how to take care of him in the first five minutes. I imagine those first five minutes of their life are very crucial, but I'm not a doctor. I wasn't trained to to do this. You know, there were supposed to be people there that were trained to do it. 
and it was just me and my mom who just was violently woken up by me <laughs> to a scene like that and we're both traumatized we're both like not understanding what's happening <laughs> you know there's so much confusion but yet I did it you know I I went through it completely by myself mm-hmm. I went through it I was I did it in the dark <laughs> like I didn't even have light I I remember like when I went to go call my mom, I had to turn on the hallway light and I couldn't find it. And there was blood smeared all over the wall and all over the the light switch because I couldn't find it. Like I was stumbling through everything, hmm. but yet I still managed to do what those doctors and those nurses didn't do for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I managed to do that without any of the tools, without any of the resources and without the degrees or the money to back it up. They were paid to do that. And I was not. And I mean, and I was able to do something that they could not do for me. You know what I mean? And they, and just the thought of them just kind of going about their lives without ever acknowledging anything that they did. Like they didn't acknowledge. I sent, I sent a whole entire thing back to the hospital to file a complaint And they came back ultimately saying that I, that, that nothing that they did was wrong. I called the hospital. They would send me to voicemail. I never got a chance to talk to anyone and say, Hey, you did this to me. And there's, and I've held that my whole, the, for ever since those moments, I've held that like that sense of not mattering to anybody that sense of um, like, we don't care about you. You don't matter to anybody. Like your child doesn't matter to anybody. We could care less if you die. I've held that my, for the rest of my life. And I've had to fight through it because I mean, it's like, if you don't care, that's fine. If you don't care about me, but my, my son, you don't care about a baby who's not done anything to anyone. You know, so it's just a whole entire, like, different, um, I mean, it just, it's, it's taken so much to get out of that. And it's taken so much to constantly remind myself, like, you're, like, they don't dictate the type of person or who you are. So, I mean... I don't know if I ever will get over that. I don't, I don't, I can't imagine it. I will. It's, I feel like it's a part of the fabric that it's weaved into me, you know, like the fabric of who I am. Um, And I don't want to forget how people treated me then because I, I want to make sure that I'm constantly aware that there are people out there who don't care if I live or die, you know, but I also want other, I don't want anybody else to feel that way ever again. And I want to do what I can to make sure that other people in these situations are empowered and they have the resources to fight back if needed. Cause I didn't have any of those things. It speaks volumes to what we carry from our births. It's not just a day. It's not just I mean, getting your baby, having your baby, being able to take a baby home with you is a huge part of it. But 
it's a fabric of your life now. Mm -hmm. What you felt, what was said to you, how you went through it. Yeah. Every part of that is then ingrained to how you are, right? Yeah. Um, and even the parts you may not remember one year might come up and re somehow surface because of something else. Like it's just, it's such a powerful and sacred moment yeah. and why every piece of it should be treated as such. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy in systems to forget that. Yes. And it kind of just be this like cycle of, oh, here's another pregnant person. Here's another laboring person and forgetting the intricacies of that and that it is someone new. It's yeah. someone else's special day. Yeah. Um, so true. So tell us about, you know, postpartum is forever. Oh, yeah. Forever. <laughs> <It's very> forever. <laughs> what was the beginning of postpartum? like for you and then tell us about where you are now yeah so I mean my my situation definitely made postpartum unique and also my previous um history with medical professionals made my postpartum a bit unique <laughs> um so I'll talk about some of the stuff that resulted exactly from the birth first so um I went through a stage where I, so when you have a child at home, they, you don't get, you have to file for a birth certificate. So that's one thing I did not know <laughs> because of course I wasn't planning on having my baby at home. So I'm like waiting and waiting and waiting for this birth certificate that's never coming. And so I call and I'm like, where can I pick up my son's birth certificate? They tell me I have to go someplace in Martinez. And at the point, at that point I lived in Richmond and Martinez is about like 20, 25 miles away from my house. So I go all the way to the city of Martinez to pick up this um, birth certificate. They're sending me all over the place, all over the place. And they, I come to find out he didn't have a birth certificate because I didn't apply for one. <laughs> so I wasted hours at this place. And they, everybody was telling me like, oh, you have to go here. You have to go there. You have to go here. And then he didn't have one. So that was one thing. He didn't have a birth certificate. He also uh, didn't have a social security number um, because of course he didn't have a birth certificate. Um, and so I went through a cycle of trying to get all this stuff and I couldn't get it because they wanted all sorts of stuff. And I was just mentally exhausted from trying. I was like, I have a newborn. I also went back to work almost immediately. I think I was off for a month and then I went back to work. Um, so I had that. Um, and I just shut down. Like I completely shut down. I was like, I guess he's just not going to have a birth certificate or a social security number then. And he went, without a birth certificate and social security number for about five years. And so that was a part of it. I gave up. There was, I was like, I'm just going to go to work and come home. And that's all I'm going to do. I'm not filling any paperwork out. I'm not doing anything that matters. I'm not going to pay any bills that I don't want to pay, you know? So 
I just let a lot of things fall by the wayside because I was like, my, I was just mentally exhausted. And that went on for a while. <laughs> and my sister can speak to that. It went on for a while. And I, no one talked to me about postpartum. I feel like postpartum hasn't, wasn't even really acknowledged um, back then, you know, 11 years back, it wasn't really acknowledged. It wasn't, mental health wasn't a thing, you know? So I would go into these bouts of depression and I would go into these bouts of anxiety um, where I wouldn't want to do anything. I was calling out sick from work all the time. I was like, I, like, I just don't, like, I just was an unhealed person. I was literally an open wound walking around everywhere. And it did not, it didn't, honestly, it didn't stop until probably about two years ago. Um, my sister convinced me, because my sister is a medical professional. I mean, she, in a sense, she works for a company called One Medical, and she's been there for a while. And she's around, constantly around medical professionals. She's constantly training them. And so she was like, it was, I think I had a, a pinched nerve and she was like, I really think you need to go to this doctor for this. So she like recommended me to go to her doctor. And that was life changing because I hadn't been to the doctor in, I hadn't been to the doctor probably in over 15 years outside of me going to those, um, my prenatal appointments. So I hadn't been to the doctor and I, was, I had not planned on ever going to the doctor ever again, just because all of my experiences had been horrible. Even before I got pregnant, I remember I worked at the airport and I was a ticketing agent and a, like a boarding agent. So we were on our feet all the time. And sometimes I was on my feet for 14 hours and it's pretty typical for ticketing agents um, when they're on their feet that long to have really bad feet problems. And I just remember going to the doctor and saying, hey, this seems pretty typical with all of my other coworkers. Is there anything that you can give me to like help me to relieve the pain? Because when I'm off of my feet laying down at night, I can't even go to sleep because my feet hurt so bad. And I just remember him being like, well, you need to lose weight. And I was like, I was like, that's the only solution you can offer me. I was like, at that point, I was like 22 and I was like, I was pretty fit. Like I was on the heavy set side, but I was like, I was very active. And I was like, I know that's not the issue because this really tiny girl that I work with is having the same problem. And she went to her doctor and like got a topical solution to help. It's like a topical aspirin or something. But his only solution was for me to lose weight. And I was like, okay. And that was the last doctor's appointment I ever went to um, until my prenatal visit. So I had not planned on going back to the doctor ever. Because I was like, there's nothing they can tell me that I can't tell myself. And I'm not paying a copay for them to tell me something that I already know. So my sister convinced me. She was like, no. She was like, Yvonne is amazing. She was like, go to Yvonne. She's going to help you. I went to that doctor's appointment and 
Yvonne Reba changed my life. <laughs> um, she not only like helped with the pinched nerve, she got so much deeper. I left that appointment healed of my pinched nerve, but also she got me, she was like, she got my diagnosis for like anxiety, which I didn't know that I had anxiety and depression. And just like talking to her and seeing how thorough she was, I mean, I was able to consistently um, get the care that I needed. And, um, and it, I was able to get on medications to help me with my anxiety and everything like that. So that was the beginning of my healing from that postpartum because I didn't even realize um, how much like birth had affected me, how much um, the instance had affected me. And I, cause I didn't talk about it. Like I would tell people how I had, like when people ask you about your birth, I told them that I had my son at home, but I don't think a lot of times I didn't go into how serious of a situation it was. Like, I was like, Oh yeah, I had my baby at home. It's a good talking point. You know, it's a good icebreaker, but I mean, I don't think anybody knew the depth of how much it was affecting me and how it was affecting my um, sense of self-worth, you know, and Yvonne is the first person, the first medical professional to acknowledge what I had gone through. I tried doing therapy and things like that, but no one could quite crack the surface like Yvonne did. So um, that was the beginning of my healing, but I was still a very long road because about even, I think, a year after I started seeing Yvonne, um, my depression got so bad that I had, to, I had to take leave from work. And I ended up going into um, the hospital for my mental health. And I stayed there for about a week. Um, because things had just gotten so bad. It wasn't, and it wasn't anything about my environment. My environment was really supportive. I had, you know, my sister, of course, I had my, my son, I had my nephews who were all super supportive, but like, I was just like this anxiety, this depression, this self-worth is just, it's taking over my life. Mm -hmm. And so my sister, again, when it comes to like the medical stuff, she was amazing. Cause she was like, I have worked with this hospital. She was like, I've sent people personally here. She was like, I know that they will take good care of you. I think we should at least call and see what they can do for you. And I ended up going to um, Valley hospital out here in Phoenix. And I stayed there for a week and, um, and it was amazing. I mean, I, the, the staff was amazing. The therapy sessions that we had in there were really great. Um, but even when I was there, sadly, I can count on one hand how many Black women were in there. And the crazy part is our, there, was, um, there was a nurse that was there and they would come in and check on everybody. And it was a Black woman and I was just in the room by myself. And she was, I remember she told me, um, she was like, she was like, well, she was like, I just want to tell you not to come back here. She was like, because she was like, like, we don't come here. 
And I was like, I know what she was trying to say. Like she was like, cause she was like, Oh, we're stronger than that. And I understand like she was trying to be nice and encouraging, but I mean, the fact that even like, like we're not allowed to cry for help as Mm -hmm. black women, Mm -hmm. we're not allowed to ask for anything for ourselves. You know, there's this facility full of white women, full of them. And we're not, we don't even, we're too strong for this. It's like, well, I, it's like, if I'm carrying a thousand pounds of weight on my back, you cannot tell me like I'm strong enough for this. There's a point, there's a breaking point for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, we are very strong. I personally am very strong mentally and physically, but Mm -hmm. everybody has a breaking point and we're not allowed to get the help that we need, which is why it took so long for me to reach out for help. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here dealing with stuff that they have medications for Mm -hmm. and I'm not even like, and I can't even do that. You know, it's like everything that I'm going through could have been prevented. Everything that I'm going through could have been helped if somebody let me know that I could ask for it. But these Mm -hmm. are like, these are, I learned about things in the past two years, two, three years that I didn't even know existed. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's like everything is in this secret facility and black women, black men, black children are on the outside of the secret facility. We can't get in. Mm-hmm. And it makes no sense. It doesn't make sense that I don't, I didn't even know this stuff was available. If I did not have a sister in the medical realm, I would still be out here like with, I would have spiraled. Mm-hmm. I would have absolutely spiraled. And I don't know that I would be here because I wouldn't know that there was a, a, a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we're not even given the hope. You know, I don't care if about anything. If I don't have hope that there's an end to something, then what what am I living for? And that's how I felt. I was like, there's things are just like progressively getting worse and getting worse. And then finally, I see the one doctor that helped me with everything, you know, and it, I mean, it, it, so it's quite a journey for my postpartum. (laughs) Um, I'm still dealing with it. Um, Still working with um, different medical professionals. Yvonne um, ended up leaving the um, one medical group and she hasn't practiced. And I really don't know what to do with myself. I've seen, I think one doctor who's, who's good, but I mean, Yvonne was truly the person that I trusted. So, (laughs) so I'm trying to find and build that trust with somebody else as well. But, um, I do feel myself getting stronger every single day. Um, I have a great support system with my family. I have a great support system with my son. Um, and just knowing that help is available is extremely important to me. Like knowing that if I were to go to a a doctor, knowing what I know now, I feel like I can advocate for myself a lot better than I have in the past. 
I hope you give yourself grace mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. every day because you deserve it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I hope that the providers that you saw the day you delivered your son have learned something yes. since then. Mm -hmm. um, even when people don't show things outwardly, which is, you know, cowardice. <laughs> They have to carry that home each day. Mm -hmm. Yep. They know what they did and didn't do. Yep. Maybe they're listening today. Maybe they'll hear this. Mm -hmm. That's one of my biggest hopes is that they do. I, I, I know that the hospital called back. Um, the emergency room called back. And I know that they know that I gave birth at home. I sent the complaint over. So I know they had to have read it. Um, so I really, even though I, they probably legally can't acknowledge it, I really hope like in their hearts, they know what they did was not right. It wasn't the right decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just want to be like fighting people. <laughs> Same, same. I mean, you, well, you know I'm all right. Same. Fly me a name in, in the DM. Just like, <laughs> in the chat box, Tiffany. Just, you ain't gotta, just type it in the chat box. Do a little Google. But you know what you can do? Hit the Earth app. I did. I-R-T-H. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Already did. Yeah. See? Oh, oh, yeah. you telling on y'all. I'm telling on y'all. telling on y'all. I am app. all over her page. <laughs> Just yes, knowing that we have the Earth app as a way yes. to yep. a simple way to hold hospital. Like I used to feel weird about like saying doctors' names or like hospitals. Mm -hmm. Now everybody mm -hmm. say what yeah. street the hospital was on, yeah. what room, what the badge number was, everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it need like. There has to be accountability. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it's only going to happen if we start naming it. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So having the Earth app to be able to do that and it be a resource that people can look at and say, mm mm, she ain't right. Mm -hmm. And they actually feel just wonder why. Mm -hmm. I have an entire um, Instagram story saved on my, um, on my Instagram dedicated to the earth app, because I think it is such a good resource to be able to, cause that's all we can do in these situations. A lot of times mm -hmm. is just let other people know because yeah. our experience it's done. You know what I mean? It's over. It's in the past, but what we want is to prevent this from happening to anybody else in the future. Mm -hmm. And so, so I not only did the earth app, but I also went on Google and put it on Google reviews. <laughs> <and> I, <laughs> I like, I, I feel like I stayed silent for a long time, but mm -hmm. with the climate that we're in, cause also the thing that I didn't know. And, and they, of course this wasn't brought to light until recently is how different black women are treated, how different black children are treated. Um, the infant mortality rate for black babies, you know, so that those things weren't talked about 11 years ago, but when they started coming to light recently, I was like, 
So this is not an isolated incident. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is happening to us. I was like, I only have one child, but if I ever have another one, it's likely that something is going to go wrong with that one based on our history. So I don't want the, so the earth app itself is amazing because it's there to help us like us, like black (laughs) women, because black women are the ones giving birth to black children. It's not, this doesn't affect anybody else, but us a lot of the time. So we have to warn people. We have to let our sisters know, like, we want your child here. We want you here. And the Earth app is the only way, one of the only ways and one of the only resources to give honest feedback about these people that are putting us in these situations. We want accountability. We want life, not death. Mm -hmm. We want respect for ourselves. We want respect for our bodies. We want respect for the birthing process. We want respect to our unborn and newly born children. Is that, is that too much to ask? Am I crazy? (laughs) Am I crazy? Mm -mm. That's all we want. We have these beautiful, intelligent children that are not even given a chance. We have black, intelligent, beautiful women who are dying and, and there's no paper trail to say, this is why it happened. There's nothing like there's nothing substantial to say, well, this is the reason why it's happening other than guess what? There's something wrong within the medical like system that is killing us. Mm-hmm. So the earth app helps so that we can connect with one another and say, hey, this was my experience. Don't go to this person. Don't go to this doula. Don't go to this facility. Don't go to this doctor. Like, if you get this nurse, tell her to leave and replace you her with somebody else. <laughs> because you can do that. You can say, she's making me uncomfortable. I don't want her in here. This is my space. This is my time. I'm the one giving birth. I feel like this is a hostile like environment with her in it. So take her out and give me somebody else. Mm -hmm. We can do that. You know, we don't have to accept what they give us. And that's what I want people to take away is that we can control the situation. They don't want us to, but we do have that control. Um, We just have to know and we have to be empowered to know what our rights are when we're walking into these places. And we have to like really just be the ones to take control of it. So um, at the end of this, all of the listeners, please download the earth app. Thank you. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Download it and put your reviews on there. Like don't just use it as a resource. It is one of the biggest resources that we can have. It's black owned, black run, like, yeah. By a black woman. <laughs> you want to know more about the Earth app? We did have Kimberly on the this side, Kimberly, which episode number that was, but <laughs> check out the past episodes. She, yes. on she on here. Love that. We are just grateful. Mm-hmm. Grateful mm-hmm. for you, grateful for your honesty today, your vulnerability today, for your healing, mm-hmm. your continued healing. It. Yes, yes. 
ebb and flow through that as you need. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share with listeners today? Advice, resources, anything else from your birth? Um, just thank you guys. First of all, just being able to being able to express and talk about this to someone other than my sister. <laughs> Um, because she's heard everything. She's heard all of my rants about this. Um, thank you for giving us a public place to stand on our soapboxes for once in our lives and like, let people know that if you've experienced a wrong or if you've experienced something that is not okay, especially in a birthing situation, like, we finally, we're finally having places that give us a voice. So thank you guys for this podcast. And you're, you're giving so many people a voice. I've listened to so many episodes and, and they're all equally amazing and heartbreaking. Um, you know, so thank you guys for creating this. I just want it to grow because I want all of us to continue to raise our voices and continue to just let people know, like we're here and, that we have these amazing stories and we have so much intelligence and so much talent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have to create it for ourselves because it's not going to be created for us. Um, so thank you guys so much for this. It is an amazing sense of like release and empowerment to have a space like this. That's the why. So whenever <laughs> people share that, like the why is happening, it's yeah. just it keeps us going. Right. Yes. Do, do not stop what you're doing because it is, it, it's very, I mean, it's, it's so helpful. I, when I discovered your Instagram and I discovered the podcast, I was like, I cannot believe that there's a space like this. You know, when I had my son, I mean, 11 years is not long. It's not long ago, but it feels like forever ago with the resources that we have now, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited for the future because I'm like, man, like if we got this far in this little bit of time, like what do we have in the future? But it's also so sad because I can imagine like if I had a kid, you know, 20, 30 years ago and had that experience and had to wait, you know, 40 years to get the, you know, that release that I needed. So I'm so happy that we've come so far and I'm, I'm so excited to see where we go. And hopefully I can get some of these ideas that I have, um, you know, out into the universe. <laughs> it's, it took so much for me to even get to this point. So I'm hoping that in the future, like our platforms will be so big that people will never ignore us again, you know? Mm -hmm. I ain't gonna have no choice. Yeah. <laughs> Something we that, out here now. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I want to add um, to what yes. Tiffany just said and um, just that speaks to how important um, this space that you all are creating is that um, women or uh, women who... Uh, um, become female <laughs> um, are oftentimes told not to be difficult or, or they're, they're, 
um, labeled as difficult <laughs> when they speak up for themselves. And this happens particularly with people of color, um, uh, women of color. And I think that something that I learned far too late, but I'm, I'm happy that I learned it. And I, something that I've been um, really trying to tell Tiffany, um, and I'm really glad that she's really finding her voice with this, is that healthcare is not that time. <laughs> you know, healthcare is not the time to think you're being difficult. Advocating for your health is one of the most important things that you can do. So that is the time to, to be loud. That's the time <laughs> to be adamant. Um, and if at any point <laughs> you are going to speak up, uh, your health is when that time is. And so I think it's really important uh, for people who are listening, um, who haven't quite found their voice yet, um, to do it with your health. <laughs> start there. <laughs> That's a great place to start. Speak up, ask questions. Um, don't be afraid to be seen as difficult or, or, or loud. Um, I think there is a way to advocate for yourself and, and be relentless about the pursuit of your health. And it's something that I didn't do um, for a very long time and neither did my sister. Um, but after I do not work on the clinical side, I work on the operational side of healthcare. But what I have seen is that there are particular groups that are very vocal about their health and are relentless about it, but it ain't us. Um, we aren't the ones that are doing that, but it, it is time for us to do that. There is a space for that. And the more that we do it, um, the more um, we will be considered um, in decisions. Um, when the, the more we refuse to not be heard, <laughs> the more we will be heard. So I, I think that places like this are so important. Um, and I think it's okay to be honest. I think it's okay to be, uh, you know, like I like naming names <laughs> because those people need to know. <laughs> so I really just appreciate the space. And for people listening, again, if you have not found your voice around your health, that's a great place to start. Be relentless. Yes. Yep. Relentless is, is how I like to <laughs> say things about your health. You have to be relentless. And it's hard because you lose energy. This internet has just cracked open so many different avenues. Mm -hmm. um, literally, you could type in a group for anything on Facebook yes. or Instagram or yeah. wherever um, and find someone that is dealing with like either your same exact yes. medical concern, yep. like this group of people who have already gotten all the answers mm -hmm. and can support Um but it, it speaks a lot to like, well, what else is going on in this world that, you know, we're not quite getting right here in right. our country, at least, mm -hmm. right? That there are still these challenges with something so basic as medical care. Yeah. Like, that's life. Right. Like, come on. Right, right. Right. We, we're all making lots of coins in the medical field. What are, what are all the yeah. answers? <laughs> what are all the answers? Right. Right. You want to take, you want to do all the tests. Yeah. You want to do all the things. Yep. <laughs> Until you see what kind of insurance someone has, mm -hmm, right? Exactly. Like, and then you start pulling things off the table mm -hmm. yeah. as options, yep. unless somebody keeps advocating for themselves to yes. have more. Yep. Yeah. You literally have to keep showing up at the doctor's office, yes. like, I'm back. Yeah. 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 What's next? Exactly. <laughs> we didn't get our answer. Yes. Like, no. <laughs> no. 
You need to do work. I'm here. I will come up with all day. You will at some point be presented with viable options if you continue to show up. Yes. Oh, you're not going to take that test. You put that in my chart. That you're not going to take it. Right. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 